Support for the Everyday People edition of Radioactive comes from Mark Miller Subaru. The following program was pre-recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders. I'm community co-host Sue Robbins. It's Monday night, and that means it's Everyday People Night, and we highlight the LGBTQ plus community and all its beauty on Monday nights. So it's a two-woman operation on Everyday People. So joining me in our virtual studio, as always, is our amazing executive producer, Laura Jones. Oh, you're too kind. It's a big week because coming up later is Transgender Day of Visibility on the 31st. It is. It's a very important day for us because the history goes back in a way that the only day of recognition we had was Transgender Day of Remembrance, which is important to us, but it's a solemn day remembering those we've lost. So having something positive where we could display our, or not display, but talk about ourselves and our visibility to the community. So that way people become more aware of who we are and what we bring to communities. So I'm bringing in some voices that I'm going to lift today from the community. And tonight it will be Transgender Education Advocates of Utah's Board of Directors. And we call them T of Utah for short. So we'll make it a little easier here instead of the longer name. And these are four people that I've served on the board with when I was chair of T. And they're amazing voices, each in a different way. So I appreciate that I have the four of them as a panel. So we'll be talking about visibility of the transgender community as our main segment later on. And the transgender community is small but vital in ours. And you were on the board, as I recall. Yeah. So after I served as chair of the Utah Pride Center, I was fortunate to serve as chair of the T-Board. I had been on the T-Board as a treasurer while I was serving on the board of the Pride Center. So I had some crossover and it is it was very warming to be able to make an impact at both levels. So being able to be a leader in the T-Board for the year that I was the chair was impactful for me, and I hope it was impactful for the board also. Uh, we we brought a lot of people on the board that, that year, and it's T has been very strong and very important in our community, and we want to make sure we keep that going throughout the years. Now, before we do rallies and resources, and I got a whole slate of stuff, given that it's Transgender Day of Visibility Week, it's Pride Week at the U., but there is some news we need to cover, Sue. Yes. Speaking of visibility, a very important day for the transgender community. Dr. Rachel Levine, who has been the chief medical officer for Pennsylvania for a couple of years, and she was the secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Health for four years, including during the pandemic. So she led their pandemic response from the medical side. She had been nominated to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health for the Department of Health of Human Services of the United States and was confirmed by the Senate last week. So this is a very important uh, day for us because this is the first time a transgender person who is out in a presidential appointment has been confirmed by the Senate. So she will now be serving with Health and Human Services and has a broad range of responsibilities. So this is both important from the perspective that we have a Senate confirmation behind us, but also just general visibility that there can be a person in such a high place in the United States driving policy, making change, and is a transgender voice. And I can tell you her actions, I've followed her for a little while now since I've first learned about her. 
you know, her actions are going to be just like any other assistant secretary of health is she's going to have, you know, they may be controversial because of politics, because that's what our politics do, but she's just going to do her job, which is all we all ever ask for. But she's going to set the example that there's this amazing transgender individual who is a doctor that is getting it done at the high level. And that's both good visibility for those who need to learn more about us. And it's amazing visibility for our youth who want to be able to see the potential in their future. Talk about representation, something you can see, therefore you can be. All right, let's get to rallies and resources, which you can find at krcl.org. Click on Community Affairs to find these and more items, uh, things you can do, things you can support, uh, resources you may need or need to share with other folks. So we said Transgender Day of Visibility is coming up on the 31st, but all week it's Pride Week at the University of Utah. So here's a slate of events going on, Sue. The theme this year, Intersections, invites us to think about LGBTQIA plus lives and topics through different intersections of identity, race, class, and gender. But there's also opportunities with their events to examine how LGBTQIA plus people show up in different spaces, such as being out at work, in gaming, or in the art world. So tonight, 7 o'clock online, you can join the Entertainment Arts and Engineering for a virtual evening of fun. The event will be hosted in a virtual world made on VR chat. Tomorrow at noon online, an out at work panel. Talking about how folks navigate being LGBTQIA plus in the workplace, followed by breakout rooms with facilitators on a variety of topics, including building inclusive environments in the workplace, healing from workplace trauma, a networking workshop, and managing LGBT plus discrimination in the workplace. Wednesday, Sue, is International Transgender Day of Visibility. And starting at 9 a.m. online, Trans Day of Visibility, What I Wish I Had Known, hosted by the LGBT Resource Center at the University of Utah and their Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Group at the U. It's a virtual conference, panels, presentations, covering topics ranging from navigating relationships to gender-affirming care. At 3 o'clock, Beyond the Binary, a Trans Day of Visibility panel, and I understand you're moderating that one, Sue. Yes, I guess when you do radio, then uh, you're an obvious candidate to be the <laughs> moderator. And I appreciate the opportunity because once again, it's lifting other people's voices. And I mm -hmm. really enjoy doing that. So I appreciate that they extended that offer to me. It's going to be a great panel. I know the panelists on there and there's some amazing voices. So I look forward to this. And that one's hosted by Salt Lake Community College, Salt Lake Community College's Queer Student Association and the college's Gender and Sexuality Student Resource Center. At 4 o'clock, uh, nation, well, globally, since it's on the internet, Stand with Trans, Utah Pride Center is participating. The opening speaker will be Willie the Body, a.k.a. the Queen of Salt Lake. Wednesday and Thursday, the LGBT Resource Center at the U is hosting a gender-expansive clothing pop-up shop both days from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., including mystery boxes for pickup and mail, and we'll include a link in the show notes for more details. Friday, Queer and Trans Students of Color Mixer and Networking Event for all enrolled University of Utah students. That's from noon to 1.30. And then Friday evening, 7.30, it's Black Benatar's Black Magic Cabaret with Utah Presents in partnership with the College of Social Work and the U's Pride Week. Black Benatar's Black Magic Cabaret is an eclectic theater spectacle that fuses elements of local performance, magic, and drag to bring audiences on a journey through race and cultural allyship in the U.S. 
As the ringleader of the ensemble circus, Black Benatar commands the stage and acts as, end quotes, the straight man, to the comedic interludes of her companion, all while showcasing the talents of local performers telling their stories of being queer, Black, or other in the U.S. right now. And those are your rallies and resources, Sue. Again, check tonight's show notes, but they're also beyond the rallies and resources page under Community Affairs at Rallies and Resources. And just to close this segment before we head into your panel conversation for Transgender Day of Visibility, there is an opportunity for nonprofits and small local businesses to get some assistance with their online branding and campaigns with Third Sun and its Design for Good program. For the basics, I called up Marina Atherton Howe from Third Sun. This is its fifth year that we've rolled it out. The Design for Good Community Grant is our initiative to kind of have a specialized focus area for in-kind work. Um, specifically, in our work that we do, we do uh, web design and branding and kind of naming and things like that kind of related to your online presence. In the past, the grant has been specifically for nonprofits, but kind of in light of the year we've had, we've opened it up to Small businesses this year is the first year that we'll be accepting small businesses. Um, in the past, we've helped. Well, last year we had two uh, two grantees that we selected. We had Fit to Recover and South Valley Services. So those are the types of organizations that have taken advantage in the past and applied and been chosen. Yeah. Again, mm-hmm. those types of organizations welcome to apply. And now you're adding, especially given COVID and the impact it's had on our small businesses, you're adding small businesses. Yeah, we're adding small businesses just because, I mean, we are a small business in the Salt Lake community. Um, We recognize that obviously COVID's been hard on everybody, but we know that uh, nonprofits sometimes have different grants and things that have become available to them. And obviously small businesses do as well, but we just kind of wanted to not um, be as restrictive and just kind of open it up a little bit more. So it's still open to nonprofits, but we wanted to include nonprofit or small businesses and kind of those people who are trying to make the community better. Those people who, you know, Salt Lake's just such a cool place and we wanted to stay cool. We know, we know, you know, things are always changing and COVID's really made it hard for some people to survive. Um, It's just added on to the additional factors that make it hard to survive all those other things like the economy and stuff like that. But um, we just kind of wanted to give people an opportunity to get a leg up to continue to make the community awesome. So for those grassroots activists and community builders out there that are listening and are thinking about applying, what's entailed in submitting an application? Where do I do it? And what's the deadline? Perfect. Thank you. Uh, You can go to our website, thirdsun.com, and it's S-U-N. It's all spelled out. Uh, And then at the bottom of the homepage, there will just be a little pop-up that has the full information on everything about the grant. And then also has links to the two applications, one for small business, one for nonprofits. And the application deadline is April 30th. And that's Marina from Third Sun. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the application. Rallies and resources, Sue. And when we come back, we'll be hearing from T of Utah on the visibility of the transgender community here on an Everyday People edition of KRCL Radioactive. Support for KRCL comes from the Ute Land Trust whose mission is to help heal people, community, and the world around us. More information at utelandtrust.org. The radio. Sometimes it's there in the background to keep you company. Other times you hold it close as the voices you hear speak directly to your heart. 
KRCL's radioactive team brings you homegrown and heartfelt stories and conversations that connect us as friends, neighbors, and human beings. Help Power Nonprofit Radio was your gift at krcl.org. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, committed to keeping everyone moving safely when movement is necessary and temporarily offering complimentary vehicle pickup and return valet service. More information at markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Sue Robbins. Coming up after our show, it's Democracy Now! at 7, followed by Red, White & Blues with Brian Kelm at 8 and Michelle's Night Train at 10.30. And every morning during the week, you can start a brand new day with John Florence at 6. So that takes us to tonight's feature segment on Transgender Day of Visibility with T of Utah. And here is that panel discussion. And tonight, what we want to talk about is transgender visibility. Wednesday is International Transgender Day of Visibility, and it started in 2009 so that we could have a positive day of education for the transgender community. So I thought it would be great for us to bring on a board that works in this area all the time that gets a view of a lot of the visibility within the transgender community. So with me tonight is the board of directors of Transgender Education Advocates of Utah, also known as T of Utah. So I'd like to ask them each to introduce themselves so that they can tell you who they are and why they're involved. And first I'd like to go to co-chair Christopher. Hello, my name is Christopher Malin. I go by they, them, theirs. I individually um, go by non-binary or non-conforming trans. Um, and I'm just one of the co-chairs on the board. Great, and Christopher, so what kind of involvement did you have that has led you into tea so that you were drawn into do it, being so visible in this kind of activity? So a lot of it was a little bit more personal. So my background was mostly psychology. Um, and I've always been interested in individuals being them, their full selves. And so um, I just felt like tea would be a good branch for me to be able to express myself openly at the same time, um, learn more about the education of being part of the transgender community. Great. Well, thank you very much. Next, we have co-chair Becca. If you could introduce yourself, please. Yeah, my name is Becca Green, uh, she, her, and hers. I'm the co-chair of Transgender Education Advocates. Um, and before that, I was involved in uh, journalism. Um, and I am involved because, you know, trans folks face such, you know, just discrimination and misunderstandings on all fronts. And, you know, particularly in a state like Utah, it can be very lonely and very difficult. And so um, anything I can do to help my community is, is something that's important to me. Great. Well, thank you very much, Becca. And next, a board member and good friend of mine all for a long time, Cami. if you could introduce yourself, please. Hi, everyone. I'm Cami Richardson, and I am the treasurer and board member of Transgender Education Advocates, and I live up in the Park City area. And you're also an author. I am an author, yes. I wrote a, a memoir. You know who I once was, question mark. It's available on Amazon. And I think it's a, it's a good introduction 
not only to my life, but to people who are in the LGBTQ community um, who are struggling with coming out in life. And um, I did so at the young age of 63. So it's, a, it's an interesting history of my life and how I eventually came out as transgender. It's never too late to be who you are, right? That's right. It's amazing. And I've read that book and it is a great uh, autobiography to go out and get. Thank you, Sue. Thank so, you. Yes. Thank you for all you do, every one of you. So next, I would like to have board member Tisha introduce herself. Hello, my name is Tisha Olson, and I go by she, her, her pronouns, and I am a, on the board of directors of T. And the reason why I wanted to get involved with T is because I know that we go out and we try to help and the transgender community, and we are very much very strong advocates. And me personally is I feel like I try to advocate for the forgotten community of the of the of our transgender veterans that the only time we're ever thought of is when there's a war. So that's why I'm here. And an important point, Tisha is a veteran of how many years, Tisha? Twenty-two years in the United States Marine Corps. Hua. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you Ooh, very Rob. much. <laughs> very good. Thank you all for being here. So I think a good way to start this is since we're talking about the visibility of the transgender community is what does visibility mean to you and how your visibility has impacted your life? Because your visibility drove you to go to T. So how does this visibility become important to you that you would be driven this way. So Christopher, would you be willing to start and then we can let everybody jump in as they feel comfortable? Of course. So I was very lucky growing up. I grew up in a family that um, very much pushed, pushed um, self-expression and reducing shame and being the person that you wanna be. Um, but still in doing that, um, I felt like I went back and forth and kind of struggled at times finding who I was. Um, I think that partially had to do with that a lot of the examples around me were male, female, um, or transgender. Um, and I didn't see a lot of expression of non-binary in the community. Um, and so as, as I progressed, um, I, I experienced a lot of discomfort um, trying to find that place that I belonged and it took me a while to realize that that discomfort spot was something that I actually was something um, that I just had to come at terms that I'm a fluid individual um, and that it's actually a strength of mine um, and um, and so that's pretty much where I've been at, at is more just taking the time to educate the the community around me that um, that visibility by being non-binary, um, sometimes it looks like we don't fit and sometimes it looks like we don't want to conform. But the reality is that it's just a voice that hasn't been heard a lot of in the community. And uh, so I just want to be part of that in Utah. Great, well, thank you. Becca, would you like to share your thoughts next? Yeah, visibility is really important to me because 
Um, you know, I was raised in a fairly conservative area and I don't think I even heard the word transgender until I was in my late teens or my early twenties. Um, and if I would have had, you know, role models or examples of folks to look to at a young age, it would have spared me a tremendous amount of pain and confusion and a lot of feelings of isolation. Um, and visibility, it does so much good because people, I don't know how many times to tell you since coming out that someone has said to me either that knowing me has helped them accept someone in their life or them personally has helped them, you know, realize that transition is possible or that they can, you know, do something that they saw someone else do. Um, and that's something that I have said to other people so many times. And I think that's one of the most gratifying things about being trans is we're so often displaced from our traditions and from our families, but we get a step into this generational chain of people who were there for us. And then we get to in turn be there for other people. And I think that's really beautiful. So that brings about a very important point is visibility can create role models. It can create a perspective of that can be me. Is that correct? Yeah. For me, you know, I remember, um, and I think a lot of times it's not even like we talk about role models and people think about, you know, heroes doing big heroic things. And that's certainly true. Um, but I'll tell you the moment my entire life changed, it was when Carmen Carrera did an interview with Katie Couric and Katie asked her an insensitive question about her surgeries. And Carmen literally like put her finger up and shushed her and said, no, you can't ask me that. And that's such a small thing, but it was literally the very first time in my entire life, I'm probably gonna cry, that I saw someone who was trans like exist to be themselves and not the punchline or to satisfy cis curiosity or to be like this, you know, freak show on Jerry Springer and exploited for, you know, their trauma and their pain and, and the ways they're othered by society. And just seeing her take up space as herself made me realize that like, there's a place for me too. And that's so, Cami, I'd like to kind of turn that over towards you in the thought that one of the things that I absorbed from you early on in our friendship is you had complete ownership of who you are. There was no hesitations. And I am sure many in the group that we were in at those times looked up to you and gained confidence because of the role you set. How do you feel about that? And did you have someone that uh, helped set you up for that or did that just come naturally for you? Well, I think you, you just said a key word, which is confidence. And I, and I truly believe that, um, you know, transgender people need to have confidence. They need to know their why. Why am I out here presenting myself as, as either male or female? And, um, and it, once you understand that, it helps you develop confidence to do um, the things you want to do in life. And I, you know, I waited for a long time to finally transition. It's actually almost five years to the day that I came out publicly. And since that time, um, my visibility has really made me a different person. And I work as a greeter at the ticket booth, for example, at the Canyons Ski Resort, part of Park City. And um, you know, I'm out in front of hundreds of people every day that I work, um, presenting myself as transgender, 
and hopefully setting a good example so that others can, you know, can be inspired, can see that our community is, is one that we're not a freak show. We, we are regular people just living our lives. And I can remember the first year, about four years ago that I was working, it was one of the last days of the ski season. And this, this young mother and her daughter, who turned out to be 18 years old, were approaching me as I was working. And it was such a beautiful picture and, and being one to be rather outgoing, I stopped them and I said, oh my God, such a great picture of you two. And I actually took a picture and we chatted for about five minutes. And as um, I was wrapping up the conversation, the mother uh, was there with her 18 month old daughter. And I said, well, I hope someday you'll be able to tell your daughter that she met someone transgender at 18 months old. And the mother stopped, looked me in the eye and said, well, I'm 31 years old and I just did as well. And I, my personal mission is to be educating and enlightening people about the transgender community by setting a good example. And I got back into my car that day and I thought back on what just happened. And I started to cry because I realized I'm achieving my mission. And I'm in front of people, I'm visible, and I'm presenting myself as a transgender person that I can be proud of. And thank you for that. This is important to me that I think we change hearts and minds when we're out there. So Tisha, you have an extra unique perspective of, we've been hearing about the transgender military ban for five to six years now since it first started coming up with President Obama. And as someone who is a retired Marine Corps veteran, you represent people that could be in the service and you've had a voice in that piece. So how do you feel your visibility has been important in that area? Well, I believe that my visibility in that area has uh, been a good thing um, because I've been able to voice the concerns that I see from other transgender veterans, and I've been able to voice it in such a such a way that I get it that it comes across, but it doesn't come across that we are uh, that we feel that we are privileged, or that we feel that we sh we should should be took care of. All all what I am trying to get across is exactly just like what Cami, Becca, and Christopher said is that. We're human beings. We are just like everyone else. And all we want to do is to, is to be ourselves and be and be honest with ourselves. And one of the greatest compliments I ever gotten was one from one of my clients that I got that I had at uh, my place of work at Odyssey House. And here's a gentleman that came from prison straight into a to a re, uh, rehabilitation center and looked at me and he said because of your genuine and direct self you're my hero and that made me feel really really good 
And so that's all what I try to be is I just try to voice the things that either other people don't want to voice or other people don't want to hear. And I'm not afraid to say it because when I grew up, I came from a military family. I was born in 1965, transgender wasn't even a word then. And then one day I just realized that I didn't wake up one day and decided I wanted to be a woman. I woke up one day and realized I was dying, pretending I was a man and I decided I wanted to live. And that's what I'm doing now. And I'm being, I am straightforward, direct, but I'm also very transparent and I'm not afraid to say what needs to be said, but I like to do it in a way to where I, just like what Cammy says, I will go out of my way to educate someone because education is the key. And whatever I do, if it helps the next generation have a better life than what I did growing up, then my job is complete, even if it helps one. So an interesting thing we've seen recently is in 2014, and I said recently, I'm going to go back and make a comparison. Laverne Cox was on the cover of Time magazine, and it said it was the transgender tipping point. Now Elliot Page has come out and was on the cover of Time, and there's articles saying this is the transgender turning point. So when we see this national level visibility, you know, there's gains made incrementally as we go along. Uh, when I came out, only 8% of people said that they knew someone who's transgender. So it just showed how many of us weren't out. But also there's a small number of us in comparison ranging anywhere, anywhere from 0.7 to 1.7%, depending how surveys may be questioned. So how do you see this, this visibility impacting national perspective as far as more understanding, more support for potential laws, and maybe even the negative legislation being a backlash to that visibility. How do you see all the good and bad and what your view is on how we should be accepting, or we don't necessarily accept the bad, we deal with the bad, but recognizing it for what it is. Christopher, would you like to start? Or? Sure. Um, so that, that's a big question. <laughs> it is. It so, had a lot of pieces to it. Pieces, I, yeah. I meandered a little bit. It's, but from a national perspective, we have a lot of support. 77% of people want or support LGBTQ non-discrimination laws. But we have a lot of negative laws out there, but we have more people saying they know us. So is visibility for everybody a good thing? I think visibility definitely is something that is pushing the, the movement more. Everybody's getting to know more individuals um, that are in the gender spectrum. Um, but I think to some degree, um, visibility can have a threatening take to some people, especially if individuals are not used to having a lot of individuals in their community that are transgender or um, non-binary. Um, so in some ways, I think there are individuals that see us as a threat. Um, and I think there has been a big history through media um, as seeing us as something what we are really not. Um, and so having this opportunity for um, 
individuals that have bigger conversations, uh, for people that are larger in the media, like Laverne, Laverne Cox or um, you know, these individuals coming out, I think it gives the opportunity for more people to hear these voices. And so as, as there's this push, I think legislation does, um, I think there's more conversation within legislation. Um, and so it gives more of an opportunity for change. Um, but I think there's also more individuals that are, are coming outside of um, the normal statistics that are also defining themselves in more of a fluid form. So I think not just the uh, statistics coming out as being transgender, but being more in some spectrum of not within the binary, we're seeing more of these individuals. And I think that also changes legislation. So for instance, I, I work in a large company and um, there are a lot of um, legislation for talking about transgender rights. Um, but sometimes when I talk to individuals, um, they question what those rights are if you're non-binary. So I think by having these conversations and for transgender individuals to have the strength, the confidence, kind of like Kemi was saying, when we have this confidence to be who we are, um, it really does bring a different light to the individuals that just hear what the media says about us. Um, and I apologize too. It's a it was kind of a large question, so I don't know if I answered. It was, everything yeah, completely. and and it, well, I think this can generate a conversation among everyone because I know Becca follows the national scene some. So if individual contact helps bring people in, does the visibility also tend to have the backlash? And that's why we're seeing legislation we have. So is there a good and bad to visibility? You know, respectfully, I think that's a little bit of a. I don't want to say a false correlation, but like, I mean, trans people have been visible for a long time. I think what's different is we're getting more opportunities to tell our own story. There's fewer barriers from people to present their own experiences, whether that's, you know, on social media or YouTube. But I mean, before we had people like Laverne Cox, it wasn't that we were invisible. It's that most of our representation was harmful. It was, um, you know, like I was mentioning Jerry Springer or that awful Ace Ventura. That's the name of the movie that was escaping me. Just all of our representation has been pretty bad in the past. And I think the good thing we're seeing now is that trans people get to tell our stories and talk about our joy and our triumphs and our challenges and not just like this pageantry obsessed, you know, viewpoint on transition. And I think separately from that, what we're seeing right now is you know, we saw it with, uh, you know, uh, marriage equality for uh, lesbians and gay folks, you know, years and years ago, where we're being used as a wedge issue. There are bad faith actors who realize that spreading misinformation and, and you know, to use their words talking about men in their, you know, daughter's locker rooms or, you know, men using the bathroom next to your daughter. Like, none of this is new. None of this is, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think we want to say that we draw that just for existing. I think, you know, there was an attempted insurrection in this country three months ago, and there are people who do not want to talk about that. A certain element of our government stood by and, and watched an attempted insurrection try to occur. And rather than talk about that, I think they've realized that they can get a lot of mileage out of demonizing us, raise a lot of money, get a lot of votes, and get a lot of headlines just making us this wedge issue. Um, and I think 
that's unfortunate. And I think visibility counteracts that. I don't think that negativity is like a consequence or a pushback from that visibility. I think they're separate if you know a little related. Okay, yeah, and I, I take the point and I agree because I've been talking to it being a wedge issue too. So Cami, you get to do some talks where you engage people. Do you find that when you do these talks that you change a lot of minds, but do you have people that come up that, with you with doubts where you have to further engage them? your visibility when you get up and speak um, changing hearts and minds completely? Or do you still have people that just want to kind of give you a hard time because they just can't get past their old biases? Interesting question. Um, you know, a lot of times I talk to the LGBTQ community people and, and obviously there's a bias towards, you know, what I'm saying they agree with me. They, they feel, you know, the same feelings that I do, but I've also spoken to other groups. In fact, next week I'm talking to a national legal firm that is international as well. And, you know, when you, when you have an opportunity to talk about inclusivity and about being trans and how it all happened, um, I think I'm, I find that most people can relate to me and that they truly learn something from it. They're, they're walking away with, a, with, with something that I said that makes them realize, oh, these are real people. This is that we've been demonized in the media uh, for too long and it, and it continues. And there's, a, there's clearly needs to be a balancing act and, and the only way for it to be balanced is for us to be visible, to be out there speaking our truth and, and uh, presenting ourselves in a way that people see a different perspective on the transgender community. Hey, Tisha, so obviously the military is always a national thing and you bring this experience to you. Do you feel like that the, the increased visibility has drummed up support for transgender participation in the military in particular, because that's been kind of a hot potato between presidents, but how has the actual support felt with the people? Cause you work with the veterans and you also get to work with the Odyssey house. So you get to see two different perspectives there. How do you feel the support has been there based on the visibility of our transgender military members and veterans? Well, I actually feel that the support there has actually grown. Um, I know a lot of times people sit there and they say, well, if we let the transgenders serve openly in the military, it's going to break down unit cohesion and there's going to be problems with this and there's going to be problems with that. And there's, there's always growing pains and we understand that. But even with, even with the Marines that I served with back in the day, I don't want to put too much of my age out there, <laughs> but um, the ones, all the ones that I've told, and because we are still considered family, brothers, brothers and sisters in arms, and it's none of them to even include my higher command has said that they really give a crud that I'm transgender or not, but they know I'll be the first person they'll call in a firefight. I think what, what the biggest thing is, is that society 
with our visibility, which helps bring more visibility to the LGBTQ community, it's actually challenging the rest of society to look at look at this world and society as, as itself is that it is not binary. Nothing about this world is binary. Nothing about society is binary. So why is gender so binary? And I know that Becca talked on the great bathroom wars of 2015 or 2014, whenever they were, I, not not exactly sure, but that's how I like to refer to them. And yes, I understand that. If people are afraid of a of a man putting on a dress and going to going into a women's restroom so he can assault someone, well, let's get the record clear. That is a predator. And I repeat, that is a predator. And predators come in all shapes and sizes. And they're not trans. Because that's a man going not, in the women's. And they're not trans. Yeah, if I could just chime yeah. in for one hot second. I, I, that was my beat. I was a journalist for seven years and I wrote about sexual assault three or four times a week, every week for that seven years. I've written hundreds of these cases. And, and Tish is exactly right. Predators come in a lot of shapes and forms. But so you could have me on and I could talk for an entire hour about how we completely fail victims of sexual assault and fail to hold predators accountable. But to cut it short, I'll just say this. If we care about protecting you know, women and children to borrow the language of our oppressors, there are a million and one things that we can do and scapegoating transgender folks is not even on, on the list. So if you, wanna, if you wanna protect people, I have a list. Don't just use us to-, and to by the way, that same attack was a wedge issue against gay men a couple de decades ago. It's just Absolutely. being rehashed and retargeted. Anyway, I, I apologize for interrupting. Oh no, you're you are absolutely correct, and um, and one of the great things about our my visibility is that working up at the VA as a CPSS certified peer support specialist, I also actually got involved with uh, training up at the VA by by um, doing gender and pronoun training for the staff at the VA for people who don't have it anymore or that haven't been trained about misgendering and mispronouncing someone. And we just recently got to do it to Pentad. And for those of you who do not know who Pentad is, they're all the, the big wigs of the, of the VA hospital. And Every time I do this training, and I do also with, with another peer that's transgender, they go by they, them. Uh, Jack Lawler is their name. And um, every time we come back, well, the director this last time stopped us two thirds of the way through the training and said, I'm sold. What do we have to do to get this out nationwide? So the support is there. We just need to grab hold of it and take advantage of it and move forward with it. Great. And Christopher, I want to follow up on one piece I kind of put in that massive question I put together to pull yeah. one piece out. You know, Laverne Cox was on time and it was a transgender tipping point. Elliot Page is on time now and it's the transgender turning point. We need someone non-conforming on time, don't we? Because this is educating people about who we are. And if we make it look normative to some extent, 
then we are not necessarily teaching all that we are. I 100% agree. I think that's probably the face of visibility for me in the, in the, in my area. So I'm, my, my work is very uh, front facing. Uh, I, I work in a kind of a medical front facing job, but we have a lot of individuals that come in um, to my work. Um, and I, I want to echo what Cami is saying and Tisha is that I think we are getting a lot of support at this time for individuals that want to make social change. Um, but I think there is a lack of education specifically in the area of non-conforming trans or non-binary and that they still want to somehow put you in this binary where you don't exist. And so I think the part that I have the hardest time with is all in my front facing job, I'm an individual that's very feminine expressing, but I also have characteristics that are what we consider masculine, maybe like a beard or something like that. And so a lot of times, instead of seeing, that, seeing me as a non-binary individual, they see me as something that they can relate to, which is maybe something from the 80s, like a rock star, um, or something that is not maybe uh, societally conforming to, um, to a situation. So in some ways, I'm, you know, I feel like a compliment, like, wow, I, I feel like I look good. But to some degree, I, I feel uncomfortable with the notion that people don't see me for who I am and the gender that I am. And instead they see me as somebody that they might like or <laughs> that they might actually see me as kind of a destruction to society as like a rock star maybe. And so I, I feel like constantly, and I think a lot of us feel this way when we're in a front facing position, we want to tell the story that uh, non-conforming trans or transgender individuals um, are a good contribution at, to the community and that we exist. That we're not just a small population reality. It, we're a big part of the population, if not a part of everyone within the population to some degree. Um, and in doing so, I think we have this expectation that we should always be positive and happy. And I contemplate this a lot in that, to be honest, the binary is not always positive and happy. And even though I want everybody to have that experience with me, I'm a human being and I get exhausted when people come up to me. And, um, and that's what I usually have to try constantly do is have this mental health check with myself to say, am I really doing myself a favor to let everybody know that I'm not somebody that ever breaks down? Um, and so to me, I think the hardest part in society is that I don't think that I see very many individuals like myself that are presenting themselves, at least in media, presenting themselves um, in ways where people understand who I am. And so, I constantly have to either connect myself to one gender or to um, some form of tangible gender identity that somebody understands. And um, that's exhausting. I, you know, I'd rather just be myself to be Christopher um, instead of a stereotype that people want to latch onto. And I hope, I hope that- Can I, I just comment? Yes, Please do. Um, Christopher, you do look like a rock star, but you are a rock star because of your bravery, because you present yourself in a way that that is different, that that that, you know, as difficult as it is for us that present ourselves as male or female transgender individuals, you you present yourself in a way that leads people to question 
who you are and what you are. And because of your bravery and because of your confidence um, and your ability to, to communicate, you know, you come across as someone who truly is interesting and enlightening and someone that you want to know. And that is what visibility in our community is all about. I was confused at first when I met you. And I am so happy that I met you because you truly demonstrate love and, and um, it's just amazing who you are. Thank you so much, Cammy. But the be honest, my favorite part about this, and I, uh, you're so sweet. I really appreciate your compliments. But one of my favorite parts about this is, even though it can be exhausting at times, it is a talking point. And it's a talking point to say that, to be honest, even if we're looking at the binary, and that's what we'd want to actually push, push society into, males and females don't always have the same characteristics and stereotypes as that, that, we, that we see. And I, I have a lot of individuals within the music industry, and I wish I could pull some names out right now or in the modeling industry, that they said, to be honest, they relate to the transgender community mostly because by trying to be part of the binary, they were abused, going into the dressing rooms as wanting to be presented as the gender that everybody wanted them to be. They still, to them, were perceived as having characteristics of the other gender and so they were abused and so I found this kind of underground community to be honest um, that yes maybe I don't have representation a ton within media but I have representation everywhere else and I really relate I think to the younger generation I think I really relate to individuals that are kind of being quiet but the reality is I feel like I can get a stronger voice larger um, by uh, relating more to the population than just to what I see on the media. So I feel like that's why I'm really lucky. Um, and, and to be honest, I, I like to talk a lot, just like as Becca said. <laughs> um, and so anytime I have an opportunity where somebody's like, I don't understand this, I'm like, perfect, let's talk about this. <laughs> and I'm yes. talking too much, so I'm gonna stop. <laughs> no, it's great. And one of your points I think is important for you talk about it being exhausting. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up is for some people, visibility may actually be dangerous for them. Not necessarily, it could be physical danger. It could be employment danger. It could be health danger, family danger. There's a lot of ways to look at it. And being visible sometimes may be a privilege, may be considered a privilege, or there may be privileges with it. Like I have a great job that I was respected at when I transitioned. So that gave me a foundation to be visible right away because I already had my place there. Uh, so it'd be interesting to hear thoughts around the safety of being visible or not being visible. And also when you're visible, that doesn't mean that you are committed to educating everybody who walks up to you. Yeah, I wanted to chime in on that, Please that do. one, if you don't mind first. and. Uh, the thing about it is, is I had to stay invisible, just like how, just like you had to, Sue, is because if I would have ever been outed in the military, I would have lost everything. I would have gotten a dishonorable discharge. I would have had no career, no benefits, no nothing. And being invisible at least gave me a chance to have a career. The unfortunate thing is after the fact of that career is I was just a mean, ornery, angry person. 
and I didn't like society. I didn't like myself. I didn't like anything else. And once I finally came to terms with who I, who I am and what I am is I'm happy now, <laughs> you know, and, um, and I'm not afraid to be visible now. And the thing of, and thing about it is that we all want to be validated. Every single person in the world wants to be validated. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not uppity. It's not snooty. It's just a, a perfect, perfect response, you know? And the thing about it is, is being able to be visible about it. And with my personality, I'm very outgoing. I'm a lot like Christopher. I love to talk. I talk so much, my gums start to bleed at times. Uh, <laughs> but the thing about it is, is the neat thing about it is, is probably one of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten in my entire life is that, that I am approachable. And that's one thing I, I do love. I can jump into the middle of the crowd and be part of the conversation within five minutes. And I love that. And uh, so being visible has some great points. It had some bad points too, though. I mean, I get funny looks at, I get funny stares. Uh, I've had a lot of people um, look at me and they, why you are a Marine? What the heck? And I don't know if they're questioning me about my, my position or if they're actually questioning themselves. And um, the funniest thing was, is I was at a hockey game and uh, a gal came up and she had, she heard that I served for so long and she comes up, she goes, how can you, how can you love a country so much to give them 22 years of life for a country that doesn't love you? And I just looked at her and I said, my country loves me. It just doesn't know it yet, but I'll let them know. <laughs> They're coming around, right? <laughs> They're coming around. So uh, this becomes a, a, an interesting point to close on. We're airing two days before Transgender Day of Visibility. And sometimes this cloud will come under people who are just coming out and they might be more visible than they have cared for later on, or they might debate whether they should be visible. So TDOV's coming up. What's the advice that you would give to someone who is newly out or about to come out about being visible? And is there a timeline? Is there an amount? What what kind of advice would you give to those people, young and old? I think, so when I came out, I was working in news and they did a story about me, which they asked me to do two months after I came out and we shot four months after I came out. Um, and I'm really grateful for that opportunity. But if I could go back and shoot that segment again, there are some things that I would say differently. And I, I wish I would have taken longer with myself and with the trans community before speaking at such length about it. And so I think, I think it's important to, and I think you see this a lot with, you know, somebody who has a little bit of celebrity status comes out. You know, I've said to people many times, sometimes being trans is like moving to another country and asking to be, to serve as their ambassador six months later. Cause you know, as we've said several times in this interview, a lot of people have just never met a trans person before. And I think taking some time to learn from people who have been there longer than you can be really beneficial. And also 
learning, you know, when you first come out, there's a desire to open the floodgates and after hiding for so long, have no more secrets and no more barriers and no more gates. And my one quick piece of advice is just be intentional about your boundaries and your barriers. Like I like to help other people who reach out to me, but I'm fairly visible online. And if I responded to every person who sent me an email or a message needing help, I would quickly get overwhelmed and I'm not a psychologist. I could very well harm someone in my efforts to help someone. Um, and I think I opened those gates a little too wide when I very first came out. And so help people be visible, but just be cautious of your own energy and your own limits. And remember that you're a person who deserves love too. And that even though there's a world of things that need doing for trans folks, that doesn't mean that you can do it all. You can only do your part. Anyone want to so add? I would, um, oh, go ahead, Kim, could, please. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about um, know your why. As you know, why are you taking this leap of faith and uh, presenting yourself as transgender? And 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 you know, it leads to you ultimately having to you know fake it a little bit till you make it. You know, don't go too far. Don't put yourself out there where uh, people are really questioning whether this is real or not. Um, but at the same token, be yourself and uh, put yourself out there and not be afraid to, you know, to go out in public and, and to present yourself and be visible in the community. And obviously that takes some confidence, um, but you can't be also arrogant about it. You can't, you know, flaunt it. And, um, you know, Sue, you and I go back a long time and you can remember um, Annie from Diva Las Vegas, which um, is an organization or a group that all gets together in Vegas. And one of her principles was, you know, present yourself in a way that makes yourself look real. If you look, your, if, you, if people present themselves in a way that makes them look fake and like it's a show, then you're really not helping yourself or your community. So visibility has the good and the bad. And it's important that people realize when you're crossing that fine line. Great, well, thank you and thank all of you. I so appreciate all you do. T of Utah, obviously one of my favorite organizations having been a part of it <laughs> and uh, what you do is very important, especially in these times. Every year it's important, but we're in times where the work you do is even more so important. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for your visibility. All four of you are among the strongest voices in our community. So I'm so glad that I had you on tonight. Thank, thank you so you, much. Sue. Thank you so much for having us, Sue. And if you want to learn more about tea, you can always find us at teaofutah.org. And you can donate there so that you can support the efforts of T of Utah. If I recall correctly, there's a big donate button right on the front page. Oh, I'm sure we could make it bigger, but it's there. Good. Yes, no, sir. Thank you, T. You can also find us on the handles on Facebook and Twitter as well. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Sue. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Everyday People. Two years ago this month, I started my first show with the T-Board on here, having a similar type of discussion, and I continue to appreciate all they do. And thank you all out there for listening. 
Uh, we bring you the diverse voices of Utah. Remember that education brings knowledge, knowledge brings understanding, and greater understanding brings social change. Radioactive is a production of Listeners Community Radio of Utah. Executive producer is Laura Jones. Associate producer is Billy Palmer. I'm community co-host Sue Robbins. Until the next Everyday People edition of Radioactive, we see you, we hear you, and we love everyday people just like you.